0: Progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Oh,
1: oh, oh, O'Reilly!
0: You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people.
2: Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
1: You're crazy.
0: What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Vile Files. (laughs) What's wrong? This is funny. I'm feeling saucy. <laughs> okay. uh, we have a great episode. Really excited about this one. <clears throat> this is all Rochelle, by the way. What do you mean? You set this up. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, it, it was really great. We uh, Sylvie Kukassian. Yes. She's a relationship coach. Yes. And a relationship coach who specializes in something I didn't even know was a thing, but it makes total sense. And that is attachment styles. Yeah. And how we, uh, uh, like... I don't know how you would describe it, but like, you know, our our experiences in our childhood and the things that we get raised by our parents and our experiences in life with our partners and how people um, respond to us and, mm-hmm. and, and teach us, we then react to that and have different styles of attachment and how we're attached to people. Very fascinating. Yeah. And how it affects our relationships. And we dive a lot into that. And and, and Sylvie's very helpful and and very enlightened in the topic. And it's a really fun, interesting conversation. And she
2: just has a really cool Instagram. Instagram is becoming a, a neat way for therapists to help people like understand how to set boundaries and, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, like I said, uh, Sylvie is amazing. You're going to absolutely enjoy her. I really, uh, I, I think this, uh, were, were you happy
2: with it? I was so into it the whole time. And yeah. I, her voice is so calming and beautiful. And it was just, yeah. If I you, thought it was great. If
0: you guys, people enjoy it. Well, I think we we'll, we could even have her back. I think yeah. there's a lot more uh, information that she could share with us. Uh, you know, we, we joke, but we like to talk a lot about relationships and, we, you know, we like to think we know a lot, but clearly there's Not so me. much more to learn out <laughs> there. And it's great to have someone who's, who's studied this and, yeah. and, uh, is making a career out of it. And so, uh, Sylvie was very fun to listen to. I hope you guys really enjoy it. And so coming up next, Sylvie. Sylvie. Hi, Sylvie. Thanks for coming.
1: Hello, I'm
0: excited. To really appreciate you, you, uh, you coming in. Um, as we, we mentioned to our listeners, we're, we're very excited to have you. We talk a lot about relationships on our show. And so we find it fitting from time to time to actually bring on people who. Who actually know what they're talking about, <laughs> uh, as opposed to us who we just kind of uh, <laughs> we'll just follow say, our gut. So we just follow our gut and say things. <laughs> um, uh, you, Syl- Sylvie, as we mentioned uh, in our intro, was recommended to us by one of our listeners, and so we took a gander uh, oh. at uh, her Instagram and in her platform, and she has some really interesting and uh, you know helpful things that we think are cool and. One thing you uh, seem to specialize in um, is relationship attachments, as you would describe it. And so I wanted to get into that. But before we do, I uh, would love to learn a little bit more about you and how you even got into becoming uh, someone who pursued actually being an actual relationship coach um, and studied that and really got into it. And um, I was just really kind of curious about that.
1: Big question. Like I never know <laughs> where direction to, to take this question, right? But um, I think that the path that really led me to this work is um, my, my family immigrated okay. uh, from Syria and Saudi Arabia when I was four. and Interesting. In, you know, left my parents left their entire family system behind. So there was just a lot of, you know, challenges that come innately with doing something that is so incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. And... Being a really sensitive child, you know, I was always really drawn to wanting to do more of that introspection. And um, I didn't really know how to do that. It wasn't really something culturally. You know, I'm Armenian. It wasn't something that was <laughs> really – it didn't exist in the way that I, I needed it.
0: Well, that was one thing I when I we I met you briefly before we started recording is – I, mean, I don't know much about those cultures, but the little bit, at least I know whether true or not, like from Saudi Arabia or, or, or Syria, in terms of culturally, uh, relationship dynamics seem to be at least very different than the ones we have here in the uh, America, right or wrong, in terms of how men and women communicate. Uh, uh, it has that, was that kind of a, a big role in how it played in your fascination about just relationship dynamics in general?
1: Definitely. And I think just being able to identify so much with my Middle Eastern background, but also my American background, Mm -hmm. it's almost like I have two parts in me okay. and they're constantly I mean it's, it's great because it gives me perspective it's like no this isn't the only way that you can do relationships but at the same time it's like I have these battles inside of me which has caused a lot of confusion um, so that, that also had played a big role in me wanting to really figure out what is the way how do I really want to be in relationships how can I pull a little bit from my Middle Eastern culture the things that I really love
2: sure. but
1: how can I let go of some of the things that don't really serve me and then how can I pull from some of the things from my american culture that i love and how can i you know let go of the things that don't serve me so that has taken many many years and um which is why, you know, I went to school for this. I really wanted to get the training and uh, got my master's in psychology, marriage and family therapy. And I started just coaching people and really loving to learn about how to really um, embrace those differences, not just mm-hmm. completely feel like we have to, you know, become the same person or think about things in exactly the same way. But how do you, you know, if we were in a relationship, how do we navigate those differences without becoming enemies or without making each other wrong all the time?
0: Yeah, that's really fascinating. I mean, just hearing you talk, I mean, I, I relate a little bit to my own experiences. Um, like I'm not a relationship coach, but my fascination with relationships and what I've learned and the things I try to share is come from my own personal experiences, kind of like you just mentioned and, and things I'm just figuring out for myself. And then, well, I don't come from a, a family that immigrated to America. I do, you know, or, and have a you know, very different cultural dynamic differences mm-hmm. between, say, Syria and uh, the Middle East versus America. But I did grow up in a very conservative household that we talked a lot about on the show, and mm-hmm. and how I was raised, and uh, and then, then as I become an adult, or am an adult, and have my own experiences, the challenges of you know using the things I was taught and how I was raised, and the things that I really respect and, and value that my parents have, and things that I don't necessarily still agree with at this time and trying to balance those out. It's really kind of a fascinating thing. I do find that, you know, I don't know, in your experience, people really kind of struggle with that, you know, whatever, how we're raised and whatever we come from versus then we become our own people Mm -hmm. and and struggling with doing what we think is right for ourselves or, or kind of living up to an expectations we have uh, that we either come from our parents or or schooling or just uh, our friends and things like that.
1: So much, so many expectations, right? Yeah. That some of them are we're aware of. And I find a lot of the expectations that get us in the trouble are the ones we're not even aware of. like kind of creep up in the middle of a fight. Why didn't you do this thing? It's like, wait a minute, do I even believe in this thing that I'm asking for? Or is this, you know, the messaging of, you know, my, my parents or the cultural background that, that I don't actually believe in?
0: That is really interesting, too. Yeah, I think we do you see that a lot with the people you work with? I mean, it, I never thought of it that way, but we we probably do spend a lot of time in relationships, when we're communicating, fighting battles, we don't really care about. Yes. Um, yes. why, what, what causes that? What, what
1: Well, I think it's just so much of what you just said, Nick, right? That piece about those expectations and the things that our you know, our parents or our culture brings forth into our dynamic with our, with our, with our parents or whoever we're in relationship with. If I come from a culture that expects me to be married by 25 and I don't have a, a person by 25 years old, I'm going to start freaking out. You know, I was watching an episode that you guys did um, mm-hmm. and you, I think you addressed this. You know, you're constantly telling people on your show, listen, if your end goal is the thing that you're focusing on, you're missing out on actually, you know, seeing if there's a potential here, if this is a connection that I want to actually nourish and see if it's good for me rather than just trying to get to that expectation that I don't even know if I if that's important to me. So it happens. All the time, yeah, and including myself.
0: I mean, I I, I, I talked about this. I've when I turned twenty five, I literally freaked out mm. more, like more than any other birthday. I'll never forget my twenty fifth birthday, and that was thinking I was supposed to be at a certain point in my life, which was bizarre. But in that moment, it was like oh, I I need to do this, and it was this kind of <laughs> literal freakout. Yeah, I'll never I'll never forget.
1: And isn't it crazy how even though you know logically. you know that that's not true. You don't have to be married by this time, but the part of you viscerally, and that's what I mean by those implicit expectations. They're expectations that we have that haven't been questioned yet and where we get into a lot of trouble, you know, because if we start pressuring our partner, you know, I need to do this thing by X and we do it from that forceful or manipulative energy place, it can cause a lot of conflict and push our partner away.
0: Yeah, it's, do you, when you, when you work with your clients, do you you discuss m- manipulation a lot? Um, I, I I was talking to a friend recently who was having some relationship problems, and they love their partner, they 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 really care about them, and their partner is a good person. But it seemed like some of their actions were quite honestly, when you were manipulative, and in this situation, uh, their their partner is uh, very. Um, Th- they love to be close. Mm-hmm. They love to have, they love, a, they seem to like a lot of attention and the other person likes their space. Um, but seemingly, and I've had this in my relationships where uh, they're very demand. They want, they want to mm-hmm. feel love. They want, they want attention. They, they want a connection. And when they don't get what they want, they, then they, they pull away. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it seemed, and then they, and they don't, and they say, well, I'm feeling depressed or down and they pull away. But when you, when, and I had this before and it seems what's going on in this friend situation is they're pulling away, but they're expecting a a reaction. They're not, they don't want their distance because they need space. They're Mm -hmm. saying they want their distance because they want to see what's going on. Like, and to me that sounds very manipulative, but I don't know if their partner is consciously saying like in a Machiavellian way, I'm going to do this. Like, why do we do those things that ultimately are manipulative, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's not necessarily in a healthy way.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I have the I have the perspective that we're all manipulators to some degree. Right? right? Yeah, that's kind of my... I yeah. personally think it's a huge spectrum. Some of us do it in tiny little ways that are, you know, not that big of a deal. And we have that awareness around it. We can almost be playful and mm-hmm. just bring it into the relationship. But there's some people, obviously, that this can be really severe and it can be a huge issue. And, you know, this is where having a map of the attachment styles which is you know what I what I significantly work with with my clients It helps to kind of understand how we were bonded with the the initial people that were responsible for raising us, our caregivers, whether it's mom or dad, whoever was the main person that was emotionally, you know, responsible for taking care of our needs. How that relationship played out has a huge impact on how we're going to interact with um, somebody when we're in an adult relationship with someone, in an intimate relationship. So what you're describing is, you know, somebody that's a little bit more on the anxious attachment style, you know, somebody that is... And I don't, I don't know how deep you want me to get into these. No, yeah. Well, maybe you know? let's backtrack
0: a little sure. bit. Like, what are the different attachment styles? Sure. Like, is there a, a, a finite number? Uh, like, yes. there's a, okay. Yes. So what what there's are four. they? Walk us through <laughs> This
1: is this is again this is the meat and potatoes of my work. It has been life saving for me, and something that I you know I love talking about with with just my clients and anybody I could talk mm-hmm. to. Um, so the attachment styles was a theory developed by a couple of amazing people. I want to make sure to give them credit. Um, we have Mary Ainsworth, John Bowlby. They were the founders, and then Mary Mary Main and Judy Solomon. Okay. So the four the four different styles is we have the secure attachment. So a secure attachment is somebody that had a caregiver that was really responsive. If I cry. You're gonna be there for me. You're mm-hmm. gonna be responsive to me. You're gonna be available for my needs. And let's say you make mistakes every now and then, you're still good with making repairs. You don't leave me in distress. I trust you. I feel safe in the world. And so of course, you know, I grow up as an adult feeling like I can own my needs. I can go to the person I'm in a relationship with directly and just say, Hey, Nick, you know, I'm I'm feeling sad. Can you just hold me? Or, you know, so sure. just I can be clear about those things. Um and you know these uh, attachment styles are fluid. They are very dependent on who we're with. So even though we might resonate with one or more than one, it can still be impacted by other things other than our childhood. Like if we were bullied or we moved a lot. So you know, for people listening, I really want to you know invite you to instead of you know putting yourself in a box, you know, to really just focus on what are some of the behaviors that might be har- har- harmful for your relationships. So the second one is the anxious style, which is the one that when you started speaking about the manipulation kind of resonated a little bit. Um, This is somebody that had really good access to their caregiver some of the time. And then the other time the parent was not available.
0: Interesting.
1: So maybe mom or dad was at work and they just were not physically there. Maybe they were struggling with addiction or alcoholism. And so they were so into their own experience that they were not present for the child. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, I totally do. Question. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Do uh, kids whose parents got divorced at some point in their life tend, might have uh, the anxious totally. attachment.
1: That could absolutely happen. Mm-hmm. You know, one parent who's super available, like you had both of them, and then all of a sudden one is available and one isn't available. Mm-hmm. So that can create a lot of anxiety for a child, you know? So mm-hmm. that person grows up to be really anxious in relationships because they're used to having connection. But then as soon as you pull away, you know, let's say we were together and you, I feel you distancing yourself even on a tiny little level i'm gonna freak out my nervous system is gonna you know activate and i'm gonna start doing maybe things that feel manipulative you know that thing that you mentioned to try to get your attention back i might even threaten to leave the relationship because yeah. i'm hoping you're gonna you know you're gonna chase me you're gonna yeah. come after me but i'm not trying to leave i'm just trying to get your attention and it's obviously very harmful when we're not aware that we're doing this because we might end up pushing people away
0: in yeah a really way. i mean i was definitely in. A- relationship like that and all it did was push me mm. away. Yeah. What's the third?
1: So the third is the dismissive avoidance style. Um this is somebody that was left alone a lot as a child. So the parents were not really tuned into the needs at all. Maybe they, you know, you fell down, you're hurting, you're crying. Parents like, don't be sad. You have nothing to be sad about. And this message of your needs not being important, repeated over and over again, causes the child to shut down internally. They become really good at self-regulating, taking care of myself. And when I'm in a relationship now as an adult... You want to be vulnerable with me? Are you kidding me? I'm solid. I'm good by myself. I'm not going to expose myself to you because I'm so uncomfortable with revealing myself. I'm not used to people engaging me. I'm not used to people caring about my experience. So I put on this persona and a lot of times this person can appear really arrogant, but they're not. They're just, that's a way to mask that pain of having nobody that was available for them. These people are like the CEOs are really successful a lot of times and they're really good at their life and they downplay the importance of relationships. So you'll see them, the ones that are really distancing themselves, getting into relationships over and over, but never really committing on that emotional level. And it can really, you know, be hard to be in a relationship with somebody that is always keeping you at this like arm's distance length.
0: Interesting. And then the
1: fourth. <laughs> and then the fourth. I know it's easier to just map it out first, right? Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm just kind of curious. These yes. are all very interesting. Yeah.
1: I'm glad. I'm glad. So the fearful avoidant, which is also known as the, um oh my gosh, I'm blinking out. The fearful avoidant, which is also sometimes known as the um, disorganized. Um, this happens when the parent has a lot of their own unresolved stuff going on. So let's say they have their own traumas or parents, passed away. They never dealt with those things or they were abused or, you know, something bad happened. They never dealt with it. Now they have children. And as their children have their own feelings, they get really triggered by their child. And so they end up responding to their child in frightening ways because they're frightened. So they're having their own reactions. And so this can also be a place where the child has been abused. And these kids grow up to be really fearful of of connection in general. They're more seeking of relationships, whereas a dismissive is, is just like, eh, I don't need relationships, even though they still get into them. This person will want it, will want that closeness, but as soon as they get close, they'll push away. They'll run away. So they'll have that anxiety come up because all those... What's
0: problems. an example of that?
1: So an example of the fearful?
0: Yeah. Sure.
1: Um, so an example would be I get into a relationship with someone um So this is the one I particularly resonate the most. So Mm -hmm. this might be helpful. Um, Trauma, like I said, has been passed down in my family. I don't know if I mentioned that. Trauma has been passed down from the Armenian genocide in my family system. So a lot of things happening. Um, So when I would get into a relationship with somebody... I would seek that closeness so much. So when me and my fiancé met, he was wonderful and amazing. And as soon as things got deep, I panicked. I freaked out. I wanted to run away. I was like, I can't handle these feelings. I can't tolerate them. I would become dysregulated. And so I had done this. You know, I was the runner in every relationship. I was just, you know, every time we'd have a fight, I'd want to leave. Mm -hmm. And so... um, that's how it continues to play out. But the relationship is usually safe, but your brain is telling you that something's wrong. Get out. And so it's like a push pull. Like I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. And obviously this is really hard for anybody that's partnered up with. And sure. my partner has very, has been very brave and patient. <laughs> 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 and incredible to really help me to navigate this and to lean into those conflicts and to, to to really trust that okay, there's nothing to be you know afraid here. You can feel afraid, but you can be here and you can work through this and you can heal this stuff. And that's the beauty when we're in healthy relationships, we can really heal a lot of these um, attachment wounds that we that we that we develop as as younger kids. It,
0: it's interesting you call them wounds because it sounds like. I mean, the first one, it sounds almost kind of nice, the secure one. And that's
1: the one we want to attain to.
0: But even that, can Even can that almost mess you up in a sense? Because you feel almost like you have, a, you know, like your perspective on security or your expectations of relationships of like you project what you expect from parents, what you've gotten. Because it's always like from everything about these attachment styles, we're taught one way yeah. and subconsciously we seem to be reacting to that in our in our relationships and that, that confusion can seem to always potentially cause mis like misunderstanding Mm -hmm. and and confusion in relationships.
1: Sure. Yeah. We could definitely project what we want and we, what we expect. But the the thing about people that are more secure is they tend to have, they're really good at self-regulating. They're really good at being honest. They're Mm -hmm. really good at being collaborative. So if I'm with somebody that's avoidant and I'm secure, it's, for, I'm just gonna call that person out. I'm not gonna play games. Yeah. Like, hey, I need this. If you're gonna, if we're gonna be in a relationship together, you can't threaten to leave every time something happens. We need to work through this. And if they see that this person is not doing their part, they're gonna leave because yeah. they have that secure template that makes it easier for them to just be more drawn to healthy relationships.
0: Are there certain attachment styles that are more um, compatible with one another, or is it just? Everyone is capable of being in a relationship as long as you understand where the uh, people are coming from.
1: That's a fantastic question. I get that question a lot. I'm so anxious. I'm with someone more avoidant. Is that can can that work? Mm-hmm. And. If we're, if we have a lot of, you know, emotional wounds, of course, it's going to be the most ideal to be with somebody that's more secure because they can help us to be more secure. They can help us because they're modeling those healthier behaviors. But I've seen so many dynamics work. You know, me and my partner both have kind of like the distancing strategies, but because we've been committed to being in the relationship, we can navigate those things. But the trickiest one I find is the anxious and the avoidant because they're literally activating each other's biggest fears. If I'm avoidant and I have Mm. somebody that's really anxious and they're really, really anxious all the time, I'm going to fl- you know, flip out and I'm just going to run and you know, run into the hills.
0: But you're freaking me yeah, out, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs>
2: yes. You
0: feel their yes. anxious uh, energy. Or like, the
1: anxious person is going to just want to connect and maybe they don't express things perfectly, but the, other the person's avoidance is going to be like, distant, excuse yeah. me, like, where are you? Like, they just don't ever feel like they can grasp them. So unless both people are super conscious and really aware, that's why then the map offers that tool to start to become aware of like, okay, what are the things that I'm doing? You know, like for me, I'm a runner. I have to, my car can't run. Or if I make threats to, you know, push someone away, I have to be able to go back and repair that. Otherwise, the relationship is going to be doomed.
0: Are all these relationship attachments, um, we talk a lot about parenting and how that plays a role, but as you said earlier, they're fluid. Yes. So we can we can have different styles within ourselves and different relationships. And I'm assuming they can also, com- we can also, uh, be affected by previous relationships we have with partners. Absolutely. Right. Like maybe we had a great childhood and we have this very secure attachment style, but our first boyfriend or girlfriend really fucked us up and like, was a certain way. Maybe they were, um, like dismissive and distant. And then we constantly like, if we, like if I'm assuming, like if I were, like that secure, and I like, uh, you know, I was so used to like having an issue and being able to express that, and that person being like, oh, oh my God, let's, let's talk it through and we'll be there. And then I date that person and they're not it. And then. And we talk about early relationships where like we're stubbornly trying to make mm-hmm. it work and we love this person and we believe in this love and we're going to fight for this love, but they're, they're doing this way. That can really, I'm assuming mess up our perspectives. And then all of a sudden we become this person we don't recognize. Mm-hmm. I, I don't assume that happens a ton. I sometimes wonder a, uh, about that with myself and mm-hmm. a lot of people we give questions where it's like, who am I now? Like you get really messed up sometimes by the people we date.
1: Sure yeah I mean we're relational beings we get so affected by it. like if I could be with one person and feel more anxious because they're always so distant, I could be with another person that I feel really distant because they're so anxious so absolutely mm-hmm. these things have um a lot of complexity and fluidity within them
0: we We talk a lot about like uh childhood stuff and we talk a lot about religion on the show mm-hmm. um like i I didn't deal I had a great childhood and I didn't deal with a lot of uh, a trauma per se but uh, you know, my grandmother who recently just passed away, mm-hmm. I love her and, and a great woman, very religious and, and I grew up in a very religious household and to, you know, my grandma would always pray for us and she was great and loving. She was also a bit of a doomsdayer, mm. uh, where like every week we would get like these tapes we had to watch and it was pretty much always about the end of the world, oh, no. you know, and it was, <laughs> and like the sex before marriage, we, you know, growing up Catholic or even Christian, some of these, um, you know know uh contracts you have to sign the guilt that comes with a very strong religious background mm-hmm. it's a lot of fear-based you're gonna burn in hell if you have sex kind of thing and then as young adults we decide to like bend these rules that we do and then there's can that affect in terms of like not that that's trauma per se, but I feel like that can be fairly traumatic that's of traumatic. going against the grain of what we were taught, not only by our parents, but like our religious beliefs and the fear that like, oh my God, I just messed around with my girlfriend. I lost my virginity. I I broke this contract. Yeah. What's going to happen to me? How do I feel about that? Do you deal a lot with your, your the people you work with and how that affects their kind of attachment that they identify with?
1: I mean, what you're saying is so dramatic, right? For any child to feel like if they do something, the, to feel that terror, to feel so much yeah. sh- enormous shame is excruciating. When you
0: say it out loud, it sounds fucked up. That's not- literally like... <laughs> Your entire <all> of- childhood. <laughs> well, not even mine or yours, but like so many of us. So like many. Our, our culture really is, especially, again, I'm not knocking religion. Religions it can be a great, wonderful thing that brings people together, but <laughs> there are other aspects of it that really can cause trauma, and Absolutely. it's really fascinating how it affects relationships.
1: Absolutely, and the attachment style is just one map. You know, it's yeah. one way to look at one one thing, one part of a relationship. But like you said, that we are so complex. Religion plays a huge role. Our partners that we date play a huge role. If we moved around, if we got bullied, I mean, there's so many things. All of these are points that can, you know, depending on how able we are to cope with them, you know, we can go through a traumatic event and still recover in a really resilient way. But if that experience is not held in a compassionate way and we don't have support, that's when it can end up really staying with us getting suppressed and then coming up later. You know, so what you're saying is I've, you know, I've had many clients that have struggled with religion and are recovering from that guilt and shame of not just knowing how to navigate their sexuality for themselves. And I think religion can be very shaming. And it's I think that's one of the most challenging pieces is about, um, for me personally, from organized religion that I think yeah. is extremely, extremely damaging.
0: Yeah, it can be. I mean, that's, I mean, Rochelle and I have talked a lot about that uh, for our, both our personal experiences mm-hmm. and it just, that's kind of the playbook, right?
2: Yeah, I wonder if it, it um, leads to that fearful mm-hmm attachment, because if you do something wrong, then you're lost or you're gone. Like the church I grew up in, people were excommunicated. Mm -hmm. So there was that fear of getting cut off from your community. Your community,
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: So, and I do feel that anxious still in relationships. Like if someone's about to leave, I freak out. Yeah. 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 And that
1: makes so much sense, given that that was your template. If Mm -hmm. I do this thing... This is the consequence. It's not a consequence of, you know, let's talk through this. What happened? Right. Let me stay connected to you. No, it's shaming. It's mm-hmm. t- it's making a child fear terror. Mm-hmm. And that is really, really, really challenging to work with. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of research coming out um, how religions have been really, um, just really impacting people's mental health. And when it's not, when religion is not brought into a child's life in a way that's developmentally appropriate, you know, like you said, the doomsday thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's no child can handle that. You <laughs> know?
2: Yeah, How could
0: you I, handle not, I mean, literally, that? my grandma was like watching these videos, and it was just like you know, oh. uh, when when John Paul II passed I, before I, my mom even convincingly, I'll I, I remember it's so bizarre, but like he's considered a very great pope amongst Catholics, great great pope, a lot of great things he did, and, and you know, my mom was like, oh, when he passes away, like it uh, yeah, we we got about 10 years left on this planet. Your mom said that? I mean, kind of, in a way. that, And it came from my grandma. And it yeah. was like this, in a way, it was like this almost just glorifying him, how great. And he was a great pope and a really great progressive. And he did a lot of great things, et cetera, et cetera. But it was like, kind of like these, uh, you know, prophecies about, I don't know. But like, <laughs> there's something about the... <laughs> The end of the world and it was all We're
2: really. Stuck it with it, it wasn't
0: meant to be like a negative thing. It was but I was well, always I think
1: like parents are always doing it to protect you. Yeah, right. They have it the was best really meant it
0: really came from a place yeah. of like best of intentions of like, you know, <laughs> it was so fucked up How and bizarre when I think yourself? about it. How do we right? make
1: sure that you are prepared
0: Save for that? Save your soul? You know? Um yeah. yeah, I mean, cause at least in my household, like, you know, growing Catholic, I mean, and not to there's a good argument to make, like, if we believe in in, in life after death, our sole purpose here in, in life is to get to paradise or heaven or whatever you want to call it, right? So none of this temporary life really matters as long as we get to hmm. eternity. So in the moment, everything about, like, sacrifice and shame is all justified underneath the umbrella of... We're just trying to get to heaven, right? So, what like,
1: a, what a bypass! Yeah, life. it was.
0: It was like, oh fuck, man! Like, you know, and so that could be a lot of, lot of pressure. Um, it's a, to
1: me, that's what I call spiritual bypassing.
0: What, what do you mean?
1: It's a violation of our spiritual boundaries. You know, it's not... Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> is going go into the boundaries conversation. Oh, right? yeah. Boundaries. Oh, it's huge. Hard. Yeah. It's hardcore. Boundaries are so, so important. Well, it's so much of what you guys are describing. When a child is approached, um, if when religion is introduced in a way that's really brought with shame or terror, that creates a spiritual boundary violation because the child is not look our parents are always going to guide us you know if they're believing in a certain religion they're going to take us to that religion that's normal and expected but the way that's done and the guidance and the, the conversations that go along with that play a huge role and if that child is not given any space to question things or to come up with how they want to utilize that religion in their own way or spirituality or the lack of any of those things it creates it's one of the most Traumatic boundaries that can be violated because the spiritual boundary is like our connection with, um, you know, that source energy, that part of us that is so personal and unique. Raquel Lerner talks about this a lot, and her work is brilliant. And it does it creates a lot of trauma and fear. You know, fear to take chances, fear that if I if I do do something out of the box, like I said, I'll be exiled, or I'll be shunned or shamed, and. It definitely is huge, and it, I, I I have yet to meet someone that has not experienced, even if they believe in a religion. There's still the some of those hurtful consequences that come with it,
0: you know. Yeah, it's a it's a very um, it's hard to 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 make choices as an individual. If at all you feel like you're going against the grain of of how you were raised, and whether that's religion or or just something you got from your parents, I mean,
1: yeah, that uh, happens in cults a lot too when you get shunned out.
0: Yeah, or not, or know? just your you know even yeah like I said if it's not religion and it's yeah. just your parents teaching you one thing and you grew up and you're just like I don't know if I really agree with this. And then kind of to your point, some and your parents are passing down things that they were taught. Again I had an amazing childhood yeah. and I had great parents he grew up in a family of eleven kids um, and amazing. but I you know, the thing that i I'm so thankful my parents and I talked about when they were on is my parents um, were were uh, very much they were very headstrong with each other and their beliefs but as we became adults they were never unwilling to to learn and especially uh, you know, being one of the older ones, Mm -hmm. they, their parenting styles evolved and changed over time.
1: I can imagine. And,
0: and, but I'm thankful for that because I don't think that's necessarily a guarantee that all parents will be like that. And they, they've learned a lot. And, you know, my mom, when she was on here, talked a lot about shame and Mm -hmm. things like that. And as a woman in her early sixties is still like learning Mm -hmm. things and accepting Mm -hmm. things that you know, quite honestly, she knew, she like believed before and didn't now because a lot of it was shame and fear-based for things that she dealt with in her life. And a lot of things that she taught us were really just to protect us yeah. of things that happened to her in her life, mm. uh, but realizing that maybe it was coming from a place of, of, of fear and things like that. And it's really kind of fascinating to hear about uh, this and, and, ha- and putting some perspective around it.
1: You know what I love about what you're saying is 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 that concept of that it's okay for religion and spirituality and for the way things are to shift as the world shifts and evolves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think being able to respect that something served a really powerful purpose at one point. You know, religions have been developed for important reasons to create structure and order and to um you know have a place of community and worship worshiping something outside of just ourselves is a beautiful and i think as you know humans evolve and as the world changes i think it's that the piece that's often missing is that we're afraid to evolve those religions and those thinking yeah. right like everything we're just we want to stay stuck in the same way and that can it oh, and it suffer. can
0: it can be confusing too because truth is we we're human and we don't know, you yeah. know, literally yeah. again, we're not trying to get, you know, whatever we believe in, we could all be, we don't know, we don't. right. We have what we believe. It's called faith, yes. faith with believing in something we can't see or know. And so we don't know. And so we hold on to these things. Um, and, and then that can make it in by definition, very difficult to decide for ourselves. Well, if, am I right or wrong? We don't really know. And so you try to do what's right in your heart, but the, you know, where does that, where does it come from? Does it come from a place of fear? Are you, you know, are you, and sometimes we have this, you see it a lot on the internet, interestingly enough. Mm. Like I always joke that like, you know, the people who give us the harshest criticisms on, on the internet are the people who have, You know Bible quotes in their bio, and again, even coming from a good place on their part of, you know, people righteously, you know, like if they've decided to live a certain life and 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 try to do the right thing, they feel like now they should share this good word to other people, but they do it in a place of judgment and shame and pointing the finger, and that can really mess up people. You know, I've
1: had a few people that follow me on Instagram. That were f- big supporters of my work, and then mm. I, I used a couple cuss words, and they're like, "I am no longer following you because the Bible, and I was like, really, because of this? you know it's just, y- yeah, but I get it. It's like they think that what they're doing is you know helping or you know guiding us sure. to a better place, but it's very shaming and judging of the person that's right in front of you, yeah, Nick, what um oh.
2: attachment style do you think you are?"
0: Well, as, you were, you, as you were going through all of them, I was Good. like, I, I feel like I could be any of these. And <laughs> I, I feel like maybe at times and maybe have been all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, for the most part, I think I was the, f- I mean, I could see myself being the first one.
2: Mm-hmm. Secure.
0: Secure. My Again, my parents always made me feel loved. I never felt like I couldn't talk to them. Very different than your childhood, Rochelle, is... <laughs> Well, again, like I felt there was the shame and there was the fear in terms of like sex before marriage and sinning and things like that. Mm -hmm. I never looking back ever felt like my parents wouldn't be there for me. Uh You know what I'm saying? Like I never felt like if I made the mistake, like maybe I was going to burn in hell, but my parents were at least going to like pat me on the back and give me a hug before I went, you know, kind of thing. I never felt like I was ever going to be exiled. So I always had that security and I always felt like, my parents would always talk through things with me. So I, oh, and I think that has helped me in my relationships where I am, I try to be a good communicator. I always try to, like, if there's a problem, I try to address it. So I definitely think there's a lot of that for me. and So you
1: lean in, like you're not somebody that leans out. If difficulty happens, you're able to... I
0: have a hard time, yes. And so I've been in relationships listening to, you know, you talk about the different styles, and I clearly know I've been in relationships with people who haven't had that. And there's that conflict of like, well, there's a problem, Let's, let's work through it. And they're just not willing or want to, is certainly in that moment to try to do it. And I have a hard time like being like, all right, I guess we'll just like wait to talk about it you know i guess i don't i don't know but like literally and and i've made the mistake i i'm assuming it's a mistake of insisting that we talk you know let's communicate let's talk let's get through it only for it to like literally go nowhere mm. and it turns into like a pointless argument because it's like all right fine you want to talk about it we'll, we'll just fucking fight you know and then they'll just start throwing shit that and like and i i've always made the mistake of responding to everything that's thrown my way mm. only to realize like uh, you know, like whatever it is, like mm-hmm. they'll say something. I in the moment, I'm just oh, you said that. I'm gonna respond to it, only to look back after the fight. They are like they just they just said it. They probably said it because they knew it'd make me mad. Mm-hmm. They were just fighting with me, um, yeah. but I I was just so trying to communicate, but oh, to a point of like stubbornness where it was okay. like I wasn't necessarily I wanted to communicate it, but they they didn't. And I was focused on that.
1: So a lot of partners you've been with have been a little bit more emotionally unavailable is what I'm hearing from
0: you. Uh, some of them for sure. Uh, certainly the, the first one and, you know, and maybe the last one, uh, and Then in somewhere in between, what are the the anxious one? The, the, the CEO one that the kind CEO of one is the one that's like that.
2: just doesn't want
0: to. So that? I could them. be the, the CEO
2: now at this point well, in my life. Well, I yeah. thought
0: about that one too. Where the you one don't want to
2: get involved with people. I don't want
0: to get involved. When you described that, I wondered if if that was maybe me, but I couldn't quite pinpoint where I might have gotten that from because you talked well, about he
2: did have his heart broken very publicly mm. on television. Yeah. I'm like, that's got to be traumatic. It, I, I'm not. I'm really, it really. You don't think you've changed since?
0: because of that specific experience
2: no i mean
0: listen i don't want to downplay it but like <laughs> not really like i don't i don't feel like guilt like i don't feel embarrassment from it like i really don't uh at all um I, yeah i've my i i've had wh- harder heartbreaks like my in like my first love <laughs> as immature as it might've been at times, those were heartbreaks I really had a hard time getting over. I didn't have any perspective. Mm. And the heartbreaks that Rochelle you're referring to on TV, well, hard and embarrassment and different because it was public, but I got over them much quicker because the relationships in reality were weeks long. And I, (laughs) you know, like part of the heartbreaks that when you get over someone that you've been dating for a year or two years or seven years is like, uh, the, all the things you did together, you know, oh, it's Sunday, well, what did we used to do on Sundays? You know, you used to do this and that, and you know, breaking up in a bachelor relationship. I don't know what we would do on a Sunday. I've never had a Sunday with them. I, fucking <laughs> don't, I don't even know who they, I've never met any of their friends. Those are very much easier to get over. So, but I, I don't know you were saying. How does, how does some, like the CEO one, what is that called again? The
1: Well, I want to say, so, First of all, going through a breakup publicly or however, breakups are hard in general, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's totally normal to take breaks and to go through that grieving period. But the difference is with attachment is knowing how you are when you're in the relationship itself. Mm -hmm. So that will kind of give you a little bit more clues. And again, you know, you can have anxious tendencies, you can have avoidant tendencies, and you can be mostly secure, you know? So I work with a lot of people that are really great at you know, a lot of things, but there's a few things that they're they're really dismissive or avoidant of, or they're really anxious for these kind of situations. Like what you said, you know, if I feel like somebody's going to, you know, bounce, my anxiety is going to go up. But for the most part, I'm pretty secure and communicative. But that particular tri- is a trigger of mine, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm really sensitive and I need someone, I need to set some pretty strong boundaries around, you know, people around me so they don't do those kind of things um, in hurtful ways. Um, but it's very it's noticeable when we're partnered with someone, how that these things really show up. You know, like I said, for me, it shows up. I become very avoidant and anxious. So fearful has both. So I can feel the person pulling away, but I also, um, I will shut down internally. So I'll want to, you know, not leave the relationship per se, but I'll start having intrusive thoughts. I'll start having anxiety and I'll start going through my own process. And that is kind of what helps me versus somebody that is anxious. They are not thinking bad thoughts about their partner. They're thinking about thoughts about themselves. They put their partners on pedestals. They actually don't see Uh, the red flags. So the attachment styles and dating is its own Beast. You know, it's like a lot of the work that I do is like, okay, this is the kind of person you're attracted to, but are you actually seeing the person for who they are? As somebody that's more anxious, they they idealize somebody they're with. So they put them up there and they're not seeing those things because they so yearn for that connection that they're bypassing a lot. Deep. Whereas somebody avoidant goes on 300 dates like me and is just like, nope, 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 flaw, blah, blah, flaw, flaw, flaw. So that's definitely, yeah. know. I'm
0: certainly. I
1: think we're the same, you and I. I certainly. Have, I, I
0: don't know where I get it from, though. Where do you? Where do you, people who are avoidant? Where Where is the genesis usually from? Because well, I don't. Like I definitely said, I mean, didn't get that from my childhood.
1: Well, like I said, adult relationships can play a huge role too. Yeah. If you were bullied, if you were treated a certain way in a certain dynamic, or if you didn't feel safe in a certain, I mean, religion can you know of course play its own piece if we felt terror in a certain way. But I'm not saying that. Do ever, you, did, you know?
0: could it could it be like time? I sometimes feel like it's like a chicken before the egg argument where uh, your time as you get older seemingly becomes more valuable. You have perspective of time and you uh, always people in dating uh, when they're ending relationships will always reference how long they've dated someone. You know, we've been together for so like is a way that justifies trying harder, which when you think about it makes no sense. Well, we've been together for five years, so I'm going to put up with more bullshit than I wouldn't. Which I guess to some degree maybe makes sense, but often it, it, it really doesn't. And so for me now is like, I'm less willing to jump in a relationship because mm-hmm. it's like, I, I feel like I want it to be, uh, well, if I date this person for six months mm-hmm. and, and work on this relationship and then break up, I've... I made. I wasn't available to meet someone else, mm. but yet I'm never really giving someone a chance. Does that make sense? And there's a lot of yeah.
1: Well, even the I bachelor, do that a lot. The bachelor dynamic. I mean, I wonder if like. I mean, I can only imagine. Like if I was on the bachelor, that would you know that would. It's right? wonderful, but I feel like I would be so messed up. Me. <laughs> That's because, what I think. Because I'm more anxious and because like the pressure, well, I'm anxious too. you know, I wouldn't know how to like, you know, just navigate that. And there's this pressure to propose and meet someone. And there's it's just the whole setup can, look, for certain people, it can work really wonderfully. So it doesn't apply for everybody. You have to apply these things to yourself and just see what was the beautiful side of this experience, but also what was the cost? Where did it perhaps kind of shut me down or make me scared of relationships? Or like you said, maybe it just gave you really good perspective and maybe it's helping you really
0: Maybe too much though.
2: Maybe, (laughs) maybe, you know, Um, how would someone like heal that avoidance? Yeah, or if you're right over a, that. so, how but we, you, how can we heal we, you we, right we, now? We, but <laughs> this is like I'm
0: not in a relationship that yeah, way. Yeah. So, like we talk a lot about about this stuff and handling it when you're in relationships. But does it affect people who are single who you can you still have an attachment, right? Whether you're in a relationship or not, yes, yeah, so you have it with That friends. must play a role in finding your next partner, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's within you and. There's developmental stages. I mean, men in general tend to f- want to feel pretty stable and secure in their own career or whatever. That's just culturally, you know, society. So a lot of times when I work with men, there's that added complexity to it. So sometimes they just want to be at a certain place before they're, you know. So there's so many layers to this. But if you pay attention to... Your patterns as you date, what does that look like? You know, am I somebody, again, like I said, for me, because I have more of that anxious anxiety, I have a lot of intrusive thoughts. I could, I would be on dates. Look, 90% of the guys I dated, they were not, but there was a handful of really great guys. And I was <laughs> so focused on the flaws or this can't work because of this. But it was more because I was, I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to deal with the stuff that I knew like internally was going to come up. So I would make it about their flaws rather than really trusting that i was able and capable of working through this but on the surface it just looks like i'm focusing on this person's flaws but underneath i'm so terrified right and so with somebody anxious they're so yearning for connection that they're you know really just not not that they're willing to take anybody that they're just that they're able to bypass those things so again there's so many things that impact this but from what I have found, that there are certain patterns that continue to play out, and those are the things that we want to pay attention to. You know, was this a really good person? Like to start bringing some logic into it. What was it about them that you know made me so turned off, or why didn't I give them a chance? And what what it, what was it about them that maybe triggered me? You know, was there something about them that's bringing up some stuff that I haven't dealt with? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe your bachelor stuff is it coming up when you go on a date? I don't know.
0: I mean, it certainly comes <laughs> up, but. <Yeah>. I, <laughs>
2: Not always, but... You know, it's a big deal. Like it's uh, a, you We know?
0: we talk a lot about patterns. And one question I have is, um, um, are there certain of these attachments that are more uh, common with uh, men versus women? No. They're not. No.
1: And actually, a lot of people think men are more avoidant, but that's not true.
0: I So, and the reason why I ask this is because I we notice with a lot of our questions and uh, it seems like... A lot of women tend to put their partner on a pedestal more than men. Do and a lot of women we talk to are constantly justifying their their men in their life's actions mm-hmm. and 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 just like we'll, we'll jokingly ask them well what do you like about him I'm like well he's nice to me it's like as if that like is some sort of badge of honor but you're saying that's not necessarily the case because when you describe like the mm-hmm. anxious person who like puts their partner on a pedestal yeah. it made me wonder are are more women in that category than men but that doesn't seem to be the mm-hmm. case
1: it's not I work with a lot of men that are anxious
0: well I'm not an anxious person. But you know, I was wondering what, yeah. why? It, I think women
1: are more comfortable sharing this, this stuff too, you know, just wait, culturally. you think
0: men are more comfortable? No, women are. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, just <laughs> if like I'm what? more
1: comfortable sharing about what my relationship is or, I mean, if you look at just yeah. how many people respond on my Instagram comments, it's 90% women, you mm-hmm. know, so they're just more culturally uh, we're socialized to be more emotionally in touch with the stuff and to talk about it more. Whereas men, they're filled in my DMs. I'm anxious about this. I'm anxious about this. And so I don't think they're as forward and vocal about it, but it's definitely still present. And men also, you know, we know this through research, women value connection more than men. Men value status more than anything else. And status can mean many things, you know, what gives them, this is just, you know, This is, but this is all across the globe. That's more of a priority. So if you ask more men in a a relationship, you'll often see like if they're not feeling good in their, in their career or what they're doing, the relationship kind of gets the, you know, second a, a pass. you know i was listening to the episode where you had the girl um who had to was going to move to tennessee yeah you know i watched that last night and i was like man if he's not feeling good about himself and where he is it's going to be really hard for him to just pick up and leave when he feels like he's mm. not able to really provide something for her and i was like i wish i could join in this conversation <laughs> with yeah
0: i mean when you say that i mean it's like i don't think about status and i've i've i mean ultimately have had Relatively, I've had a really successful career overall and I've done a lot of great things and had a lot of accomplishments. At the same time, because I've been a bit of a risk taker, Mm. I made some pretty drastic uh, changes in my life and ultimately have been successful, but I've never felt settled with my career. Mm. I'm generally a not settled person, but because I'm so uh, uh, focused on the kind of so called reaching the top of the mountain, or whatever that mountain Which, is. The I status, fe- Yeah. Right. And, and I feel like I've really prioritized that, especially in my 30s, especially because I kind of took this big risk. I know that's definitely played a role where I just felt like I've always wanted to find someone, but I never felt like I was in a position to really. I mean, it was, n- yeah. But was isn't like, that interesting? You know, know just,
1: just exactly that. It's not that you're not wanting it, it's just that you're in a place where you're focused on yourself and wanting to make sure that you're.
0: I felt that you know? need to be more yeah. successful yeah. than I was. Yeah. And that's And I
1: can not tell you every single male client I work with, you know, one of the biggest things they tell me, I feel like what I have is not enough. They I could be making so much money and yeah. doing all these things. No, and, I'm
0: definitely guilty of that. You
1: know, and it's like, I, I come to find that a lot of times, even if they make a certain amount or do a certain amount, it's like, it's still, that feeling is always going to be there. And it doesn't necessarily go away, perhaps. I don't know. You, you know, I don't want to be the expert on men. I wonder if this resonates. No, I, I, I,
0: no, I, I think that where I I've to to combat that feeling, I've thought to myself, I have to um, uh, accept the fact that that feeling will probably always be there, and I have to just then focus more on the other aspects uh, aspects of my life that I say I want, but Mm -hmm. need to do a better job of of focusing on it because that unsettled feeling in my career and. Will always be there, and and that and that has also been helpful in my career because it keeps me sharp and motivated and and, and ambitious. But but uh, I it, love it, I love that yeah, what yeah. you're
1: saying right now because I think for people listening, this feeling that just because we have a feeling to embrace it to be there, but also do the things that we want to do in spite of that feeling being there. Whereas if we focus too much on the thing, then we'll miss out on. So I love that perspective yeah. you just shared.
0: I say that a lot too because I I always get bothered. Uh, in any type of relationship, friendships or romantic relationships and, and, and people using their feelings as an excuse. And I say that because like, again, we always have the right to feel the way we want to. We can't help how we feel. We feel some way and we should be able to share that. Mm -hmm. But just because you feel a certain way doesn't necessarily justify whatever action comes afterwards. And so like we can feel it, but you can also choose to handle and, 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 um, uh, evaluate your own feelings differently. Like I can feel a certain way and I can keep saying, well, I feel this about my career and so I have to keep going. Or I can say, well, I feel this way, but what do I really want? Am I going to accept that? And mm-hmm. sometimes, uh, and I, I notice a lot in people, it's like, well, I feel this way. It's like, okay, yeah. And then they feel, because they feel this way, they're justified to mm-hmm. expect something from the person they're, Who's making them feel a certain way. And just because you feel that way doesn't entitle the other person to respond the way you want them to.
1: It's really deep stuff, I'm um, saying right now. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't, I don't I really know. But it's really, it's really hard to figure it out. Um, totally. And I think as I've gotten older, I've had to learn that just because I feel a certain way doesn't necessarily give me the right to expect people to respond to cater to my feelings. Mm is really hard. It's a hard reality to grasp sometimes. So
1: it's, it's so paradoxical, right? It's like, I feel it, but then I don't... It's like, I'm, I'm feeling this thing, but I don't have to do the thing I think I need to do to make my feeling go away, right?
0: I'm already confused. But
1: I'm confused. <laughs>
0: But, but
1: it's yeah, like, it's tough. yeah, it's like if, if, I, if I if I relied on my anxiety, like I, I'm going to feel anxiety no matter what relationship I'm going to be in. I'm going to feel it intensely. And if I feel like that anxiety means that this is the wrong person or the wrong relationship, instead of looking at what that's about about me, mm. I'm screwed. I'm never going to be. But that's what I used to think, you know, in yeah. the past when whether it was a friendship and they would trigger all these feelings in me and I'm like, oh, I got to go. Let me pack my bags. You know, their bags are already packed. Let me. I'm oh, not <laughs> kidding. They're ready to go. <laughs> Ready just to press the button. But that was that's such that's that's such a perspective um, gift that I think that you bring, you know, on your when I listen to your sessions, it's like there's emotional side. But if we miss the perspective piece, we get stuck in emotions if we only stay stuck on the perspective and we don't infuse any of the emotions, then we're bypassing our emotions. So it's like both of those gifts together.
0: I've been guilty of of both too. Yeah. Like having so much perspective versus like, oh, great. I can, you know, I can have the perspective, but then you don't need
1: to feel the thing. You're not really vulnerable. You're not really there. (laughs) it's like, oh, you know, Uh, I I already solved it. I got it. I'm done. What do I need to go feel
0: this for? What about like we, you know, you see a lot in dating like red flags, right? And then kind of the, the stereotype or cliche, is that like, you know, men and women both do it, but women get more uh, criticized for chasing the guy who's not right for them. Hey, actually, fucking men do it a lot too. <laughs> uh, but we do that, right? As men and women, we chase the thing that we shouldn't necessarily go after. Does that often cause, and these attachment um, issues that we have play a role in, in, in pursuing uh, people who aren't right for us or, or, sticking in relationships that deep down in our gut we know aren't right for us but we we keep going how, how does that play a role with the, that type of thing
1: I think that that's a fantastic question and there's a lot there's a lot that does yes yeah. so if i'm more anxious that's that's kind of what comes up to me when i work with clients that are more anxious they're used to doing the work they're used to reaching and pulling and they're used to the person not really being available so they will um continue making that effort. So it's almost doing double the work. And what happens, what's what's so painful about that is that what they need is to actually set boundaries. They need to be able to just, vote. oops, they need to just, you know, really vocalize what their needs are. But because they're so stuck in that anxious loop, they don't even really know what they need or they're communicating it in ways that are not helpful. So if I'm noticing that I'm doing that reaching, it's like, okay, where's the perspective piece, right? What am I doing here? Is this working? Is this person reciprocating? If they're not, then I have to say something, you know, I notice that, you know, I've been making a lot of effort. I've been really trying to be vulnerable. Um, I would really love the same from you. And having a conversation and just even seeing how somebody responds to that because somebody could just be in their own world and it's our responsibility to call it out Ask for what we need and then observe. But if I call out what I need, there's a big chance that I might not get it. And I think that's the scariest part. It's the vulnerability piece, right? Like if I say this and you're like, mm, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And then it's over.
0: I, well, I love you that know? you said that, too, because oh, I'll get this with my questions with Nick, too. It's mm-hmm. just uh, I noticed that so many people avoid expressing what they want because they're afraid of the answer they are don't get. So they just don't ask it. You know, they just avoid the question altogether and and maybe even convince themselves that, well, I don't really need that or I don't want that. It's fine. Well, he works hard or she does this Mm -hmm. or et cetera, et cetera. But, and then, and then it just sits there and it never really goes away because deep down they need this answer. They want this, they want their partner to do something different, but they're, they deep down know that if they bring up the question they're not going to like the answers. They just avoid it altogether. Um, And I, I I feel like a lot, a lot of people do that. I mean, I do that with certain things. I just like, well, I'd rather just not find out. So I just won't, I won't look, you know, and I can just go about my life being ignorant.
1: Yeah. Um, It happens all the time and I'm guilty of it as well. So yes, having those conversations is that risk, you know, and at the same time, you know, what I like to say is that you're, Think of it as you're not just doing it for yourself. You're doing something that's going to be supporting the dynamic as a whole. So don't think of it as just your need. Think of it as, first of all, holding the person accountable in a loving way is a beautiful gift you're offering to them. And they get to show up for you, especially if they're just in their own world or caught up with stuff. And if they're not, it just becomes so super clear that this person is a no. And it's, it's just so freeing and empowering. But we have to kind of hit this enough times to really get that, okay, if I keep doing this the same way, I'm going to just continue to get the same response and over and over again. So we got to hit our own bottom.
0: Ooh, we going to hit our own bottom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we got to hit our
2: own M- bottom.
0: Metaphorically and maybe literally. <laughs> Rochelle, what literally, kind of, uh, which, what, which one do you think you are? Mm.
2: Well, I, is the anxious one where you're afraid that they're going to leave? Yeah. I've re- I really struggle with I think feeling abandonment and put I put people on pedestals mm-hmm. and then it's all like whatever I'm doing wrong you mm-hmm. know and I'm afraid I'm going to do something wrong to make them leave. Yeah, that makes that <laughs> makes sense. Oh, that sounds terrible. It's not good. It's not fun. <laughs> Truly really sounds like a prison. <laughs> well, that I've I've not been in a relationship in a long time mm-hmm. and I think I'm just I don't want to feel like that. It's it's not a fun feeling to mm-hmm. feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, for you, you know, being with somebody that really gets that
2: about you and is really sensitive
1: to that is going to be, I imagine, so important.
2: But I tend to be attracted to guys, I think, that like to be on a pedestal and then they just leave me because they. Ultimately, but I I really like get turned on by these like narcissists. Yeah, you know <laughs> I do. Well,
1: that's the that's that's because it amplifies the, the fear. Yes, yes. like, it perfectly matches the fear that you have. So when you see somebody like that, it's going to be like fireworks. In your yeah, brain. it feels
2: great. So that okay. is and that kind of like going after the red flags, right? Yeah, it almost. I'm like, oh, he's like minorly into me. Yes, this is my person. It's
0: really <laughs> fucked up that our like our attachment things that we identify, the things that probably we, we can easily be attracted to. The Light us that up, yeah. Will, will be the worst things for us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's where doing the work and just taking that time to explore our childhood is so important because we start to connect those patterns and even give ourselves permission to feel some of the sadnesses that go along with those things and to, re, you know, to to be present and reparent those parts of ourselves so that we can get comfortable and know this about ourselves enough that, okay, I can make a conscious choice. And, you know, what happens is when we're attracted to a certain type, we're going to feel less, I mean, I'm sure you know, it's like we're going to feel less chemistry with somebody yeah. that's good for us. We're going to yeah. be like, Okay, boring. boring. This is not going to do anything. Is that, is you. that
0: what it, we feel less chemistry for the people yeah. who can be good for us? Oh yeah. Only,
1: only depending on your attachment. If you Fuck. if you came if you had a lot of secure tendencies, you're going to be attracted to people that are really good for you, or you feel confident in your ability to work with their style, whatever it is. But if we have a certain parent that is a certain way. Yes, it's going our brain is literally going to light up like fireworks when we were come across. We're like, I remember
0: this
2: feeling. Yeah. This is home. home. <laughs> so familiar. Come here. Uh,
0: that's, that is wild. It uh, really is.
1: It's and it's hard to date people that just feel calm and peaceful when you're not used to that. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, but that's that's the thing. It's and the attachment can build with that kind of person, but it takes longer. It's like so you have to kind of go through those five or six, seven dates, even though you feel kind of bored. You know, but am I? Is this person interesting? Are they respectful? Do they have good qualities? Mm-hmm. And just kind of trusting, even though your intuition is probably saying no.
0: Uh, is that why the, the the nice guys finish last mantra maybe comes from? You, know, you hear all you, you feel like. You hear all these guys it's like, I, I'm always just treating them pretty good, and I'm respectful, and, and meanwhile. They're attracted to these women who have these attachment feelings and they're seeking out the behavior that is more exciting to them. Mm-hmm. And these guys are just like, well, I'm doing all the right things here. Mm-hmm. And yet it, it's not that they're doing the wrong things. It's they're that it's they're not triggering a certain type of attachment that, you know, they, these people... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are seeking out. It's kind of wild
2: that way.
1: And the nice guys are great as long as they have boundaries, as long as they're still yes. calling out See? bullshit. Yes, you have she to. called it. Yeah, they have to. I can't be doormats. You can't. Oh, totally. Because then you don't, you don't respect the person. I mean, that's just, you know, we can't.
0: Well, that's the thing too. It's just like the nice guys. It's like, well, yeah, you're a nice guy, but.
1: But he's mm. not being authentic if he's mm. not having the boundaries, right? So he's yeah. not really mm. being all, true to himself and to the relationship, you know? Yes. Yeah. So nice guys out there, ha, be the nice guy, be the great, but just make sure you're still calling her out in a loving way, cause, or him, you know, whoever both. You're both.
0: Like. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's like people. It's like people seem to often are one or the other. You're like the total asshole, yes. and you're constantly a dick, or you're the pushover who's like just afraid to like, you know, have you know have power and relationship. Like I mean, that's great, but I don't like it. You yeah. know, like great, but stop. You know, yeah. like, that's not cool. I don't find that attractive. I love you, but like, don't do that, you know? Absolutely. And, and then how we communicate that always is really
2: important The too. boundaries piece? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, really I think we huge. should have her back to talk about boundaries.
1: <laughs> boundaries is a big one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have a few
2: more minutes. We can get,
0: <laughs> we, we, we have to let like go, go. Yes. <laughs> we, have, we have a, oh. Okay. Anyways, let me reset. Um, well, this has uh, been very, very fascinating. Um, I, you know, there's, I feel like there's so much more to, to, to dive in and learn about attachment. Uh, is it, what is it? It's not, I don't want, is it, it's not attachment disorder. I feel like no. I, I keep wanting to say the attachment disorders. As <laughs> it's if called like they're the attachment all, styles. Attachment styles. Yeah. How we learn about about that so like uh, obviously people can learn more from you about these styles and then the 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 people who came up with it Uh, you have a a podcast uh, Mm -hmm. you talk a lot about this what's the name of your podcast Uh,
1: the podcast is called love with integrity and I also have a boundaries program that covers attachment styles too if you guys I don't know if you Mm. want to include that it talks about all the different ways that you really you know if you're more anxious how do you set boundaries so you're not a doormat if you're more avoidant how do you set boundaries so you're not always so rigid and you know trying to protect yourself all the time. So mm. you yeah. work- can find that at your website. Yeah. It's on the link is in my Instagram. Great. As well as my and, website. And
0: where can people follow you on Instagram?
1: My, where? Where? Do you mean yeah. what's the name? Yeah. What's so, the name? Sylvie Koukassian, S-I-L-V-Y-K-H-O-U-C-A-S-I-A-N. And it, the page is all about attachment styles and boundaries and all kinds of practical. I like to really give people practical tools. Like, how can you actually do this? I know this great. Now what?
0: You know? Yeah, because, I mean, just <laughs> even now, we've talked a lot about it. It can be very confusing of trying to figure out what you are, what you think you are, what your partner totally. is. And even then, like you just said, it can be very fluid. And it's hard to even like really know what to do with that, even once you maybe even have identified it correctly. Yeah. My page
1: um, talks about a lot of this stuff where, yeah. like, okay, if you're avoidant, this is how, or if you're with somebody that's more avoidant, how do you approach them? So you're not pushing them away. If you're with someone anxious, how do you approach them so you're calming their anxieties and you're not you know, amplifying them? So absolutely, that that would be the next tier if we had more time.
0: One final thought the address. If you are in a relationship and it's not going great, how do you know when to walk away versus when to fight for it? Because I think we talk a lot about that in relationships of mm-hmm. – and the, there doesn't seem to be a clear answer, right or wrong, because you should fight for relationships. Relationships are never easy. I saw something on Instagram that talked mm-hmm. about there, you're, there's no perfect person who's not going to trigger you, right? Absolutely. That's a great point. Like we talk about like forever, like you're Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. Forever's a long time and someone's going to get on your nerves Absolutely. eventually. Absolutely. How do you know when it's just a trigger that you can work through versus like, this isn't your person and they don't bring out the best in you. Like mm-hmm. what's like a qu- just a quick kind of thing we can try one. to recognize. <laughs> I know it's a big one, I mean, we don't have, you don't have to answer in one no, word, no, no. but it's, like it's a complex that's one. a complex thing that could be, I yes. think would be helpful to a lot of people listening.
1: Sure. So to answer this in the most, com- the most simple, complex way that I can, it depends, you know, on so many things. I mean, is the relationship bringing enough? Of what I want, if what I what I what I do want is there good in the relationship? Is there, you know, certain values align? Are we both trying? You know, are, am am I the only one that's making effort to fix things? Because that's oftentimes what I what I hap, what happens is one person is struggling another person. Doesn't care or doesn't care enough to want to do something about it. So it's like assessing, you know, have you done your own work? Have you you figured out what your triggers are? Have you really taken responsibility for communicating those things in a way that's not really pushing your partner away? Mm -hmm. And... Have I, you know, are we just going through a difficult patch in our relationship, and maybe we just need some support to get through this? And there's a long history that we do want to actually. So there's so many, so many parts to this, but I think um, the the great thing about learning to communicate vulnerably and responsibly is once you start doing that a handful of times. And modeling that wherever you are in your relationship, you really get to see if your partner is meeting you and you really get the confidence to ask for what you need. So if I'm really showing up, I'm really being present If for your m- more avoidance style. I'm really showing up and being sensitive around that over and over and over again. And I'm noticing you're not doing anything back. I would approach you like, hey, you know, I've noticed I've been really trying lately. I don't know if you noticed me showing up differently. I really want to make effort here. This is what I need from you. You know, so you feel more confident. Confident to ask when you're actively engaging and showing up in a way that's meeting your partner's needs. I think that really helps us better assess whether somebody is really on board with doing their part of the work. You know, mm-hmm. does that help?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's great. I mean, but that's, that's like the ongoing it's a big one. thing to try to figure out. I feel like everyone in a relationship struggles with that, especially in this, you know, back in the day, it was like, you know, to death do you part. You know, and you an didn't obvi- have so
1: many choices back in the day. Yeah, you yeah, know? your
0: options were limited. Now it's almost like paralysis of choice, it's and then you so figure out like, with uh, with do I stick with this? Is there something better for me? And you yeah. know, that's the hard, it's a hard challenge.
1: I think that's the challenge of this generation, no doubt. In dating, is that there's so much choice that it com- completely obliterates just uh, the ability to get a sense of. You know, there can be a lot of great choices, but like, choosing one is hard. Yeah.
0: Well, I really appreciate you, uh, you coming on. This has been very fun and enlightening and there's obviously a lot of uh, helpful information that you have. So obviously people uh, check out Sylvie, listen to her podcast, uh, a lot of great information. I really Thanks appreciate so you much. taking the time. It's been really fun to to learn a lot from you and I hope our, our audience enjoyed uh, learning about this. It really kind of is enlightening in mm-hmm. terms of understanding uh, how we communicate and and where that comes from, and our relationships, and our childhood, and how that all plays a role, and and how we approach approach present situations in our lives. So thank you uh, so much for yeah, having me. thanks for so for grateful. coming. It's been a, a ton of fun. So Yay. thank you so much.
1: Thank you.